Welcome to another Sunday session, the NRL.com podcast, where we review every round of the NRL. Another very exciting weekend to take us back through. Kenny Scott is with me, as always, and this week we are very privileged to have with us from the Newcastle Knights, Mitchell Pearce. Mitchell, thanks for joining us. No worries, boys. Pleasure to have you on. So I guess we'll get right into it. Thursday night, I was up there at a, uh, a chilly Gosford um, Central Coast Stadium. Very convincing from you guys against the Brisbane Broncos. Now you've had a, a couple of days to digest it. I guess just your thoughts on what was most pleasing from that 80 minutes. Um, yeah, there's probably... Yeah, obviously the, the defence at the back end of the game and, and our goal line defence throughout the whole game was, was a real plus. I thought we... Um, yeah, we've been really well. We've been doing a really good job at finishing games off defensively. Um, Melbourne, I think, was the first try we leaked in the last twenty minutes of the whole season. So it's been a big focus for us to to defend and protect our line for eighty minutes. And I was in, I was impressed with um, that part of the game. But I thought, you know, some good things in attack, but still plenty we needed to improve on as well. There was a fair few errors in the start, and we just need to tidy a few things up. You were, um, you were good enough to come and talk to us, journos, at the end of the game. So, as always, thanks for that. Now, one thing that I took from that chat was that you were very reluctant to get too carried away with the, the team's form. You, you didn't want it. You sort of said it's, you know, round six, we haven't won anything yet. But I guess in a, a broadly positive sense, the fact that everyone seems to be on the same page and you, other than, I guess, potentially the start against Melbourne, you've been so consistent through um, all the games so far. You, you must be finding a lot more positives than negatives. Oh, look, we're happy where, where things are to start the year. Um, we've obviously had a little few days to recover this weekend, having the long turnaround. So, you know, the, I'd like to say the first six weeks has been a, a, a decent tick-off um, as far as results. We're sitting in a nice part of the ladder, which is, uh, is a positive. But, uh, you know, I, what I said after the game is true. It's a long year. There's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of obstacles and a lot of challenges and a lot of footy to come, and um, we've got a lot of improvement we need to need to have as a side. Maintain the things we're doing well and keep improving the things we need to get better. Kenny? But Mitch, you, you must have some personal excitement with how the team is going, because you've been in teams that have been uh, like champions, of course. You know what a successful team feels like. You also know what a, a team that's in a rebuilding phase feels like. You'd have a really good sense of where this team's at. Um, how, do you, how do you try and... Uh, make sure you're always, you know, through body language or through uh, on-field talk, you're always delivering the right message to the team to keep them level. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you're obviously being a bit older and being in some, some, yeah, all types of teams and different experiences. Yeah, you'd like to, th- yeah, it's my job as a captain to 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 set an example for my group to be um, the leader of this team. I've been working hard on. Um, my leadership for throughout the whole off season, and um, for me as a captain, I think it's just a matter of um, yeah, making sure as a team, first and foremost with this team is is, is our defence, and first and foremost as a leader, it's about playing for eighty minutes. And I think if we compete for eighty minutes week in week out, and I can set that example as a halfback and as captain, um, you know, I think the rest of the team generally will follow and it starts there. I think the competitiveness and the defensive side of the game is the, the area that we want to concentrate most and, and that's the, the key ingredient to winning winning formulas. 
Can you tell us a bit about just, I guess, the vibe, the, the culture around the team at the moment? When you came on in, in 2018, was obviously still very much in that rebuilding phase, but starting to recruit some better players. We've seen just recently, you know, Kalen extend for a, a few years. It seems like a place everyone really wants to be and wants to play for and, and wants to play for each other. That must be sort of an incredible feeling to have that improve um, so significantly in, in three years. Yeah, like I always believed in Newcastle when I came up here, I knew that um, it was going to obviously probably be a couple of lean years or um, obviously wasn't going to be uh, the same side that I had when I was at the Roosters to start with. Um, obviously, where the club was at, it was in a in a more youthful, youthful um, sort of state with the younger players. But, um, mate, I, I wanted to come up here from the bottom of my heart. That's why I came up here because I, I believed in the club. I believed in the players in the club and... We've been obviously, um, you know, the club's built, been building each year, and to get Adam on board has um, has been been massive. And then obviously to to start recruiting some quality players on top of the boys that you know that we already had here, a few of the local juniors and the boys that are all you know developing into really quality players now, like your Fitzies, Barney's, Daniel. Um, yeah, it, it 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 is a good feeling, mate, to be um, you know starting to get some wins on the board and turn that potential in a result but it's a long year and the biggest thing for the group up here is everyone's super motivated and and, and everyone's a tight-knit group and we all want to win. Can you tell us a bit more about Adam? He's obviously been around the game a long time, been in some really successful systems in Melbourne and the Roosters, but probably not someone fans have really seen too much because he hasn't been a, a head coach before now. But he seems to have really galvanised, particularly the defence, but also just seems to be setting really high standards that, that people are living up to as well. Yeah, he's a great coach, Ads. Um, I think, you know, you probably don't need to say too much. The way we're playing, the the way our defence and attitude, uh, you just spoke about body language before. I think all those things are probably very noticeable for people uh, watching our team at the moment. And, and that's, you know, the, that, that's come a lot from the coach. He's, um, well, the majority of that's come from our coach. He's, he's, he's worked hard on our mindset and then toughening our mindset up in in all areas of our footy. And, um yeah, he's just been a, he's a super coach and, and all the boys are right behind him and want to play for him each week. He's obviously done and a super as, um, job. Sorry, Kenny, you go. So as captain of the team, like, what's your relationship with him? Does he, um, does he consult with you on, on squad changes um, or is it very much, uh, you know, it's all uh, work behind closed doors and hands you the game plan at the um, beginning of the day? Um, Oh look, adds no nah, team selections and that. No, nah, that's that's the coach. He obviously picks all that. Uh, as captain and as a leadership group, or the senior players in our team, if Ads wanted to come to us, he obviously comes to us with different things here and there. But um, he's, I'd say to answer your question, he's a very hands-on coach and he takes a lot of control um, and a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And that's what the best coaches do. They they steer the ship forward and they demand high standards and, and no one works harder than they do. And obviously, as senior players and as a captain, they'll come to you and it's our job to, to guide the ship and, and, and make sure everyone's buying into what the coach is, the coach is driving. And, you know, we've got no issues there at this club. Everyone's right behind him. Like I said, the senior group, from the senior group to the youngest players, everyone's really learning and, and, and in getting inspired from Adam at the moment and we want to play for him. The job that he's done with uh, Kurt, um, you know, Kurt came out and told us on uh, Thursday night that I'd sat down with him in the preseason and basically sort of guaranteed him an extended run at, at six after sort of being shuffled around his whole career. And I think we're seeing him, you know, personally reaping the, the rewards of having the, the coach's faith in him. So uh, Ads has obviously done a great job getting the best out of him so far as well. 
Yeah, look, Kurt, Kurt's been great. I think, um, yeah, Kurt admitted that himself. He's obviously been, hasn't really ever probably been consistent in one position, as in been put in there from a, from a team. He's obviously been a utility player and swapped and changed. So I've just seen the real growth in Kurt from having that, that trust, obviously, from Adam, giving him the assurance he's going to be in that position and allow him to develop. And we're now seeing his, his true talent. He's, um, you know, as a halfback, I'm really enjoying the combination with Kurt. Um, we complement each other's game well, and especially with these new rules, I think it really suits Kurt, you know, with his running game. Um, you know, he's probably making more line breaks or half opportunities than any other 5'8 in the comp at the moment. And as a, a halfback, you must love playing behind a pack that's tearing in the way that they are at the moment. I think, you know, Daniel Sofidi played Origin last year, and if anything, he's playing even better now. We know what Clem can do. Jacob Sofidi, who's sort of taken a bit to, to catch up to where Daniel was at, is really blossoming this year as well. Mate, the pack's been, been unbelievable. Um, you know, it's not even just the... Uh, the work that they're, you know, obviously they're playing great, but I think their fitness levels are, compared to most other sides I'm watching, um, they're doing, a, you know, for 80, the, the length of time that they're playing, the effectiveness over the length of time over a game has been the biggest thing I've noticed as a halfback playing behind it. They um, they just keep moving their legs. They keep, you know, just getting through a heap of work, but it's all effective. They play the ball speed, um, the second phase that a lot of those boys you just mentioned are getting. So as a halfback, it's just great to play behind them and, um, the thing with the pack that I get to play with at the Knights is, um, you know, they're there when it counts. They're, they're tough and they're resilient and they like taking to the opposition. With the team given, speaking of the forwards and their fitness, were they given any any strict uh, training regime for the for the shutdown? Or, um, and do you think that's got, that can be credited to their, um, their speed at the moment? Um, I think... Uh, I think mobile forwards now with, with late footwork are the most effective forwards in the game. Um, probably with the yeah with the rule change, obviously there's not as many tackles, players in the tackle and not as much wrestle as everyone's talking about. So I think foot, forwards with footwork are more effective, no doubt. Um, they get their nose through. They get, you know, obviously it's forwards with footwork and, and, and a good motor are able to get more one-on-one tackles, which allows second phase and offloads. So um, I think... The forwards that we've got, like I just said, are, are suited to this to this new style. I know other teams have, you know, there's plenty of other sides with good packs, but I know our boys, like I said, are getting through plenty of work and that with the new rules and their footwork, they're able to get a lot of second phase, which is great. You haven't had to do one of those big travel days to, to Queensland or Melbourne yet. I think you've got one next week up to Townsville. Are you guys sort of, you, you know how you're preparing for that one yet? Um, yeah, look, obviously we'll... We'll, uh, we'll get to, to do our preparation at the start of the next few days. And, um, yeah, look, it's everyone has to do these travels. It's, we've been travelling to – we had to do three hours to Campbelltown yep. um, driving. So as much as um, it seems a bit worse, it's still only a three-hour flight or whatever to, to Townsville. And, look, our, our motto this year is just getting the job done um, wherever we're playing. That's what you're paid to do. And um, we'll prepare as well as we can and go down there and take them on as, as well as we can against – the Cowboys. Have you had a chance to look at them yet? You obviously, you guys are sitting in, in second now after the weekend. They've had a, a couple of tough ones, but uh, as we all know, you can't take anyone lightly. Well, the Cowboys have been a great side for many years now, and um, we'll obviously do a bit of prep on them this week. They're going to be, uh, you yeah, know, they're playing at home and they've just come off a decent loss, so I'm sure that the, the coach will be revving them right up this week. Uh, 
game the NRL is hard. And like you said, there's a, there's a lot of travel on game day this week. And uh, we've come off a good winner. It's important that we go up and play and compete for 80 minutes. Mate, I uh, massively appreciate your time joining us on the Sunday Session podcast. Some great insights there for all the fans on just how things have been going uh, up at Newcastle this year. So, yeah, massive thanks from all of us for, uh, for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. So we will forge ahead talking about the Sharks and the Bulldogs game, uh, which finished just before we started this podcast. The Sharks um, given a pretty big scare by the Bulldogs at the end. Um, both teams just one win prior to tonight. So a, it was always going to be a much needed win for whoever got it. it. Ended up being the Sharks by 20 to 18. Kenny, um, probably not a lot in this game that would have put too much of a scare through the top teams, but um, some, I guess some gritty efforts from, from both sides. Yeah, I guess that's how you describe it, right? Like a, a game, a battle of, of two struggles, two clubs that are really desperate for a win and two coaches that are under enormous amounts of pressure. So there was that sort of novelty element added to it. Plus, uh, late Sunday night games always enjoyable no matter who's playing. Um, but yeah, I guess gritty is probably what you'd say. I think when you when you look at the two teams, like we've spoken about this sort of stuff before, the Sharks have got a whole bunch of names that, that if you weren't a massive uh, rugby league nerd, you would still recognise, and you showed that if you showed that same the the, the Bulldogs team list to that same person, they would recognise maybe Kieran Foran, maybe Will Hopewadi, and nobody else. So you'd naturally expect the Sharks to to have um, an easy yeah an easier time than the the Bulldogs to get the win here. But the Bulldogs they just they don't ever go away. Like uh, they they were with the Sharks the, the whole time, um, and I guess you know it's it's great that they're that they're determined. I don't want to take anything away from their effort, but again, it's it's another loss. Um, I just don't know how many more um, honourable losses, or you know, um, the, the 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 playing squad or, or fans or you know the board can take. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of that doesn't have anything to do with choices that Dean Pay has made. He's sort of he's been inherited this squad, but um, yeah, I can't really see them doing any better. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's it's you know they're trying every week and just the the attacks not convincing. The you know the roster's not all that strong, which they're still in sort of a, a rebuilding phase. They're, they're probably going to you know grind out a few close wins, but it's tough to see them um, challenging for the finals. And the way the Sharks are going, it's you know someone who a club that some people probably would have thought would challenge for the eight preseason has not been convincing at all. Um, you know, some of their better players have either been out injured or, or not producing their best form. They've had a huge crisis in the outside backs um, in terms of you know, injuries and suspensions and other things. Um, starting to get a few of their forwards back and I guess we're good enough in this particular game. But again, just no real fluency and not going to scare a lot of the best teams based on what we saw. Yeah, but that's just it. Like, they, they were just good enough. They were good enough by two points. Like, the Bulldogs could have won that had... They made a few, you know, a few different defensive decisions, um, and a couple of refereeing calls had gone their way. Um, it easily could have been a Bulldogs win. So I think that probably highlights the struggle uh, that 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 Cronulla, I think, will find themselves in with, uh, as the season goes on. Um, but you know, yeah, another honourable loss to the Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, take take with that what you will. An edict uh, went out during the week that the um, the sin bins may be used a little bit more liberally, particularly for repeated infringements. Uh, we'll probably get to a few of them. There was one in this game, um, Brandon Wakem with a bit of a cheap shot on um, coming in on Josh Dugan, who was already on the ground. Um, I guess you could argue, argue trying to use momentum to, to push him over the sideline. Found himself in the sin bin, probably not so much for the you know the nature of the hit as much as the fact that it was the third or fourth 
penalty in a or infringement in a run against the Bulldogs. So I've saw a bit of outcry from Dogs fans on social media, but I guess this is sort of just part of the new new normal that we're living in. Yeah, I was really surprised that that was a sin bin um, because I, I didn't because the the ref said it was like the third ruck infringement, um, but it wasn't like a ruck infringement. It was it was like a dangerous contact. Um, which I, I thought, yeah, like on report penalty. Um, when he sent him marching, I was really surprised. Like that's the decision that the ref made, and that's that's whatever. I'm not here to, to debate whether that was right or wrong. I just, um, yeah, I was surprised. But I mean, there was another sin bidding earlier in that game as well. So, um, and there's been a few throughout the week. So uh, yeah. I guess that liberal use of the sin bin is in full action. Certainly is. Anyway, let's get on to the earlier Sunday game. Now this was, um, I don't even know how to describe this one. It wasn't. <sighs> A, a tremendous game in terms of sort of high quality free flowing football, but it was right up there for just, you know, tense, you know, just unbelievably tough, um, you know, grinding out a win from a seagull side, just absolutely destroyed by injuries, missing three really important players in Marty Tapao, Moses Suli, George Tafur coming into the game, lost two of their back line in the first four minutes. Um, Dylan Walker, the 5'8", with an ankle injury, and then um, Brad Parker, the centre, slipped and um, his head sort of bounced off the, the turf and he went for an HA and failed. And then um, fullback Tom Travojevic, who was absolutely um, killing them in the first half, another hamstring injury, unfortunately for him. He was the third back in the game and early in the second half, um, man, they just absolutely ravaged by injury. Held on to a 14-6 win. It's not a probably not a great um, statement on where Canberra's attack is at at the moment, but in terms of Manly and the toughness in this footy club since Des Hasler's come back, it's that, just wow. Yeah, I think this says two things about Manly. One is, um, like, Tom Travojevic is is the the heartbeat or the backbone of their attack. So he was responsible. He either scored or, or you know, had a major hand in setting up the scoring of all of their points. And I'm, I don't think they scored a point from that, what, the 50th minute or something, whenever he went down. No. Um, and I think that says they, with him out, they're going to have to find another another avenue now they won't find one that's as effective because he is probably the most valuable player in the game in terms of his his effect on a team um but they're going to have to deal with that but it also shows what you were saying before like the grit and the the the, the toughness um of of manly just to hold on um because i think once once they lost tom once they lost turbo they sort of figured all right scoring points is going to be is not what we're going to focus on we're just going to grind this one out and we're going to um you know be be left standing at the end and they did like well done um yeah that was a really a really really tough game like you said it it, it could have when you look at like oh Canberra versus Manly this is potential top of the table stuff it should be a, it should be an epic game you're right it had epic feels but not epic plays um it was it was like a tense drama um rather than a like a Michael Bay action picture yeah, I still I enjoyed that in its own way just as much as I enjoyed the um, the eels and roosters who are about to talk about. But um, I guess for Canberra, um, you know they they beat uh, the Warriors and Titans before the shutdown, which you'd expect them to. Then came out and really stung Melbourne, Melbourne's biggest loss in quite a while in, in round three. And we're all saying hey, these are the this is the team to beat. They're going to be in the grand final again. Um, since then pretty convincingly done by Newcastle um, who did turn out to be a, uh, a good team um, based on what we've seen so far. Um, got a little bit lucky against um, your Tigers who um, gave them a bit of a scare and then um, really struggled to score a point um, in a loss to Manly. Are they maybe not as good of a team as we all thought they were when they beat Melbourne? It, it, it can't be right because you, you can't accidentally be that good. That game against Melbourne 
Like I still like it blew me away. I was like jaw on the floor. Some of those, some of the, the tries, um, this, it was the speed and the precision, the speed of, of the of the forwards and the precision of the passing from the backs was um, some. I just thought it was amazing, and I ha- they haven't replicated it since. They, it's, we know they can do it. Like it, it's in there. I don't know what it is that they're missing, um, but you're right. It really they they don't look to be anything like that team that that just dissected Melbourne. Um, easily so i don't really know what's going what's going wrong i don't think canberra are a flash in the pan team um i expected them after last year's grand final i expected them to be in a similar position this season they've definitely got the cattle for it um and you know ricky stewart's um ricky stewart's been around long enough to know what he needs to do so i'm not quite sure what what went wrong because they seemed it can't be that they're all they don't have a cohesive game plan because we saw it in action like, like a couple of weeks ago that was amazing what happened to it i i can't say yeah, it's um, I don't. Their forwards don't seem to be a problem, and yeah, you know, their backs don't really seem to be a problem either. It's just the cohesion, the the game plan and attack. They seem just to be a little bit struggling to work out how they they want to score points, which Ricky Stewart did address after the game, and he's insisting that it's an easy fix. But um, yeah, they're going to have to sort something out. So they got the Eels next week, and um, so we'll talk about the Eels now because um. <laughs> probably potentially the, the game of the year so far on Saturday night against the Roosters. Um, I have to say this went almost exactly how I thought it would go, which is it would be close for most of the game and then the Roosters would just find a way at the end and it would end up being, it turned out to be 14 points, but whether it was 12 or, or 18 points or, or something like that, it end up being a scoreline that didn't look all that close despite the game actually being you know, a really tight tussle the whole way through and that's pretty much exactly how it panned out, which is almost exactly the same as their game last year when um, Roosters scored a few late to, to put on what looked like a, a decent score against the Eels. Yeah, we always knew this, this was going to be a spectacular game. Like this was, uh, again, another taste of finals uh, very, very early in the year. Um, this was probably, I remember a couple of weeks ago, you came, you came out on this podcast and you said, I love the Morris boys. This, <laughs> I did must, say this that. game must have been just like, <laughs> tape it and, and, and project it out onto, onto a bill. What is your shrine to the Morris twins? Because they were um, unforgettable in that, in that yeah. game. It was, it was an amazing display from both of them. Like the, the attacking and defensive efforts all over the place. Um, I can't believe they're still doing it. Um, 33 years of age, yeah, it's pretty pretty vintage in NRL years, but um, winding back the clock, even though they were doing it to my team, I still just watch that game going, I love the Morris boys, may they they never retire. Yeah, masterstroke in getting getting, um, both of them in there at the same time, but you're right, I I, I think um, it was, what, 8-0 at half time, and I think that's probably where I, I expected it to be, and I thought that was a pretty good result for Parramatta to, to be only eight points down. Um, and then um, throughout the game, like, I wrote this down thinking I was being, you know, quite, um, quite insightful. I wrote, uh, I really like the style of football. It was adventurous without being stupid and defensive without being boring. Um, and usually when I write things down like that, thinking I'm really, really um, like a, a beautiful writer, I look at it the next day, I'm like, you're an absolute you idiot. But I, I stand by that statement. I, I still think that rings true. Uh, end of the day, 24 to 10. It was only three tries to two, uh, four penalty goals in there. Um, so I, I guess part of that is sort of the Roosters showing a bit of respect to the Eels' defence, which was pretty good throughout the 80 minutes. And, um, yeah, I mean, as a neutral fan, you know, I, I've said a few times this year we can't consider the Eels to be title contenders until they can work out a way to beat your Melbournes and your Roosters in 
these sorts of games. And it looks like we're still not there. Doesn't mean they won't be there by the end of the year, but I think this game for me, even though the Eels were impressive and stuck with it and kept it close and earned the lead with sort of 20 minutes to go, um, the Roosters are just too comfortable and too professional in the last 20 for me to think that the Eels are yet a serious grand final winning team. Yeah, exactly. You said like they, they earned that lead in the final 20 and then five minutes later gave it back over because the Roosters just knew exactly what they had to do. Like, okay, like final final quarter of the game, we're down by a four or whatever it was. Friend to Cordner, in you go. And then, um, you know, a couple of, couple of boring penalty goals. Um, but yeah, that's just, I guess that's just the difference between, like you said, the, the Roosters and, and Melbournes of the league. Um, they're, you know, they're well-oiled machines. They know what they're doing. Mm. I'm uh, I'm going to be honest here and say that if I was if it was my job to stop a try and my Casibo was running at me, I would just move out of the way. So we we do we do a um, on NRL.com. There's a, a UE uh, tackle of the week, and I wonder if that 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 accounts for offensive tackles. Like, was that was what Sebo uh, did to, to Tedesco? Did yeah. that count as a tackle? It was actually discussed and ruled ineligible as a tackle of the week. If there was a separate <laughs> carry or hit up or collision of the week, it would have been. Um, top draw. Although while you're mentioning the tackle oh, of the week, one thing we didn't talk about in the um, Dogs-Sharks game was uh, Dylan Watteniz-Zelezniak, oh, Matai slash Tafua style, lining yeah, up poor was. Matt Moylan and just <laughs> rocking him with one of the cleanest hits I think I've ever seen. Yeah, well, you're right. That definitely will be the tackle of the week. And then I guess that means that the Sevo try over Tedesco will just become the drink-wise try of the week. So got both of them going on in there. There you go. Um, the middle game on the Saturday, the Tigers and the Cowboys, a, um, a vintage game of two halves, this one. Um, at halftime, I had Paul Green being sacked before full-time and then Cowboys sort of 20-2 to two or whatever it was um, won the second half. Obviously, it was all too late by then. They would have needed easily the biggest comeback in the history of rugby league to actually win the game. But um, I don't imagine uh, Michael Maguire would have been terribly happy with what he saw in the second half. Yeah, I think it's just, it's really, really disappointing. So uh, as a long-time Tigers fan, all long-term Tigers fans get nervous the bigger the league gets with the, and the short and the longer the gap of time. Because when you're 18-0 up after 18 minutes, that's a lot of time to lose that 18-point lead that you have. In, that you, you have. So it's, it, it's really, um, the higher the score went, the more, the more nervous I got. When it got to 34 at halftime, I'm like, okay, look, not going to say it because you don't want to like you don't want to jinx it, but it's going to be pretty difficult to lose. But um, I was sending a text to uh, um, to some people who are, they're all asking me, you know, what do you think? Uh, Tigers by sixty or whatever, and I said no. It, the final score, my prediction was thirty-eight twenty-two will be the final score, and I got pretty damn close. Mm. Like I, I know I'm pretty in tune as to how a classic team, how a classic Tigers team operates. So. Um, I think Michael Maguire would be really disappointed, like letting in twenty points to yeah twenty points to two in in I think it was like the final the final twenty five minutes I think mm. like um, and that's just really after you've had such such spectacular first half of football and not all of it was down to the amazing Tigers attack like there was at least one try where it was just lucky lucky lucky, lucky roll the dice and they managed to get a try. The Cowboys' defense was very poor for a lot of that, a lot of that half as well. But it just sort of undermines the whole the, the win. Like you can you can celebrate racking up all these points, but you can't celebrate letting the other team also rack up just like you know, four or five, four tries, I think it was. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what to how to take it. It's great to get the win, 
but the, the Tigers really need to look really need to look at their defense. And it's that final twenty minutes. The same thing that happened against Canberra the other week. Mm. Sixty minutes of great football, and that final twenty just let them down. And, and the Raiders knew what to do. I think the Tigers were just lucky that the, the Cowboys were so far gone. Mm. Um, had that game gone for another twenty minutes, they would have lost the game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Cowboys, they won't be looking for excuses, but they got a few with injuries. No Michael Morgan, no Jordan McLean, a few other guys missing. But um, they're running out of time to start improving. They've dropped out of the eight, and they've uh, the draw ahead of them is a lot tougher than the draw that's behind them. So um, worrying signs there for North Queensland. The early Saturday game, I don't really want to dwell on this one for too long. Dragons, good enough in the end against a uh, Titans team that's really struggling. Um, I thought the Titans might be a chance of an upset here, but didn't really help themselves um, when they had the ball and um, you know, Dragons, I guess, good enough in the end. Although, even though they've now won back-to-back, nothing too convincing still out of the uh, the Red V. Yeah, like, you know, again, it's sort of, sort of like tonight's game. Tonight's game was actually quite interesting, but um, two sort of struggling teams um, not playing the best the best football that they can, I suppose. But it is interesting when you look at the Titans because this is another another half, another second half draw for the Titans. So I think it was six all in the second half, which either means that the Titans just can't play first halves very well or in all those other games, the Titans are so far behind that their opposition just lets their foot off the pedal and, and um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't go about trying to score any more points. Um, but, you know, you've got to take, you can take, uh, take positives out of it. So if... Uh, yeah, that's where I'd be looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, until they sort of start, either team sort of shows some more uh, convincing form. And the, yeah, there's no way that the top teams are going to be too worried. Let's just go straight into Friday night because this game was terrific. Panthers springing an upset over Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne, obviously, where the away team had to travel up to Sydney. But um, Penrith, I think I said last week that in their loss to Parramatta, they, they, even though they didn't win, they, they looked, pretty pretty legit like their defense was really good and then um yeah, this performance against the storm you know they had a f- you know the s- they scored first storm got back to level you kind of thought storm would do what storm does and, and come over the top but um penrith to their credit man their their middles are on fire nathan cleary was amazing their their wingers are um you know close to the shortest wing pairing in the comp but providing enormous value uh, particularly in yardage and, and also with their finishing there's um a lot to like about this penrith performance yeah, this was this was like such a refreshing game for Penrith because um, I honestly did not think they were up to the task of taking on Melbourne. I thought I <clears throat> didn't think they'd win. I didn't think they'd get uh, lose by a huge margin, but I did not expect them to have a chance of winning. And to play the way they did, I thought it was all down to one thing. Previously, Penrith's attack has just suffered from like no one knows what to do, so give it to Kikau and maybe you know surely he'll try and score a try. They didn't try and do that, although Kikau scored the last try. Um, it didn't. It didn't seem like it seemed like they had other other plays up their sleeve other yeah. than just chuck it to kick out. Um, and I think from there, it just shows like once they start once they expanded their attack, it, it provided results. I thought Cleary played a tremendous game. Um, yeah. His kicking was 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 exceptional. Um, again, and that goes like, to show for that final try for kick out the bomb that he that he put up for him was um, mm. was pinpointed. Happy Coruscant out of dummy half, like so it's good. like he. He'd had a kilo of sugar beforehand or something and too much red cordial because he was just electric, wasn't he? He was darting. He, was, he had this look in his eyes. Like he was, and I guess that, that's, that's one of those um, intangible things that players often talk about outside of, you know, fi- uh, fitness and um, game plans and stuff. It's, it's desire and it's determination. And Penrith just looked like they really, really wanted to win that game. And uh, those key players really stood up, I thought. 
Yeah, Melbourne, uh, it's their second loss of the year. Both of the games they've lost, their opponents have had to play really, really well to beat them. Um, I'm not sure it's panic stages. It was a little bit un-Melbourne-like in patches. I think they'll probably be around that top four mark at the end of the season. But, um, yeah, a little bit un-Melbourne-like this game. Can we? There's one thing I really wanted to to, to um, point, point pull out of this game. Remember last week we were talking about the the beauty of the captain's challenge and how it gave the referee yes. to pull back on <laughs> the battle between Sutton and Smith when <laughs> Smith didn't like didn't like a referee's call. And you know what he did? He just he got he penalised. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he, like if this was high school, he would have been chewing gum and like blowing bubbles in in Cam Smith's face. He was like, oh yeah, well, challenge it then. Yeah. I want to dare you. And he, yeah, like um, good on him because he he um, he called Cam Smith's bluff, didn't challenge it, and game went on. Even though he probably would have won that challenge. Yeah, well, the th- I thought it was probably a fair penalty. Smith, you know, diverted his line to to take out the chase. But the thing I love most about it was was it uh, actually Klein? I was trying to picture it. I think it was Klein. Um, but yeah, when he goes challenge it, challenge it, Smith just instantly the look on his face, just he just oh, shut yeah. up and just the smile, How like yeah, you. you've got me. Like I've got. I just have no recourse here. Like I'm not. I know I'm not going to challenge it, and now yeah. he's put it on me. I'm just. He just walked off. It was. It was yeah. a thing of beauty. That's. No, I did, say it does a trick. It's effective. I wasn't that keen on the captain's challenge, but this unforeseen consequence of the referees just being able to go. All right, challenge it then. I'm challenge very it. much enjoying challenge that. It if you're so smart. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to. Uh, I really. We want to touch on Cam Munster as well because. Uh, I reckon he's he's fast becoming my favourite player. I think because he's just the perfect the perfect mix of layers. His skill, flair, and grit, which is just a really rare combination to have all three. That um, what was I think it was a Brinko Lee. He threw that 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 the pass to for I think for Melbourne's one of Melbourne's tries. It was pinpoint accurate and just it's one of those things that just make you want to like you know stand up and applaud. I think he's um he's an excellent player and yeah uh, he's the full package. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's on fire. Uh, the early Friday game, no shortage of drama here. Where do we start? Um, Warriors scored first and then absolutely dropped their bundle, had a couple of tries disallowed. Uh, sorry, not a couple of tries disallowed. A couple of tries just bombed through their own poor execution. The second of those, uh, a simple two-on-one. Instead of the pass finding the winger, it found the opposition winger who ran downfield. Nick <laughs> um, Raymond came with a flop and got Sidman and then South scored a couple of times. Ended up being 40-12. Steve Kearney, um, after this one, I was really feeling for him. He was talking about how tough everyone's... I mean, he didn't bring it up. He was asked about it, but how tough all the groups doing it, being away from their, their young kids and their families to kind of, you know, be based in Terrigal and keep the competition afloat. And I get up the next day and I read that he's been sacked, unceremoniously chops. You know, they're two and two since the resumption and he's gone. This, um, yeah, this was a, a real bolt from the blue for me. Yeah, I, I had, I mean, yeah, I did not see this coming at all. Uh, I, I, um, I, I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. He just signed for, for uh, he's still got two years to run out of his contract. Um, the, as you just said, the Warriors, they haven't been going amazing, but they're not, there's a lot, lot there are teams that are performing a lot worse than they are. Mm-hmm. And under the circumstances, away from their families, locked into it, locked in Australia, um, it's, I, I just find it a really odd decision. Unless there must be something behind it. Um, there must be a coach in waiting who's available now. There has to be something other than we don't like, we don't like the performances that you're going. Yeah, well, apparently he was on notice that he had to show he'd turn the team around in the first sort of six rounds or so or he was going to be gone. But you'd think with all the duress, you know, they'd, they had more injuries in this game, you know, for Satua HIA, Lachlan Burr HIA in the first sort of couple of minutes. Um, 
you know, Eli, Eli Katoa doing his ankle and going off, he usually plays 80 minutes. You know, all the players they're already missing, he said afterwards, they can't even field a 13 on 13 opposed session at training. So they don't have 26 fit players full stop. Whereas, you know, all the other clubs have got a top 30 plus development players, plus junior players and squads of sort of 50 at training. It's They're doing it so tough at the moment, the Warriors. And um, yeah, it just seems like, you know, really a, a cruel time to... Um, to get rid of the coach, but uh, I guess talk about Souths as well. Um, a lot of talking points to get through here. I guess to start with, we probably have to talk about uh, Latrell Mitchell, like we always seem to do with Souths at the moment. Um, another really uh, fantastic game from him at fullback uh, for the Bunnies. Um, involves heavily in both attack and defence. Um, looks really good throughout the 80 minutes. Uh, came off the field uh, in apparent tears at the end of the game was being consoled by teammates um, and then sort of vision shown on the Fox League coverage of him being consoled in the sheds by Wayne Bennett. Um, Still not entirely clear um, what the issue was. It sounds like maybe just sort of everything. He's obviously had a big few months and apparently all just, you know, between that and the isolation and being away from his family all just became a bit much, which, um, you know, we we don't want to sort of pry into his um, personal life. But um, Wayne Bennett was asked in the press conference, by Hannah Hollis, who I was sitting next to at the time. Um, I thought a fair enough line of questioning about, you know, we saw him on the field upset. Can you tell us what's going on? Um, when I say it's a fair enough line of questioning, I also think fair enough for Wayne Bennett, who's notoriously protective of his players, to shut it down and say, no, I'm not going to tell you. He's extremely old school and believes the dressing room is sacrosanct. And like I said, even though it was apparent on the field. Um, what was your take on this one? Uh, I would just say, like, obviously, I don't know what's going on, but I think the response from... Uh, obviously, journalists are going to ask questions. That's fine. The response from the coach, uh, his teammates, and opposition players as well, I, I thought was really um, wonderful, I think. like It was just really, I um, don't know what was going on, but they were all there uh, with concern and they were all there supporting him. So um, I just hope that everything's okay. Mm, yeah, I'm the same. Like I said, if it's anything personal, I don't need to, need to know. I'm, I'm not interested in prying into it I, same as you I just hope he's okay but he is producing some wonderful footy on the field um, as are the Rabbitohs the Warriors didn't make it particularly hard for them uh, in this one but I thought Cody Walker in particular just absolutely brilliant he's he's just such a live wire on that le- left edge so instinctive it's such a great running game kicking game um, he's really reinvigorated that bunny side in the last two weeks yeah, I'm with you. I'm. I mean, we've we've been speaking about Cody Walker for a couple of weeks now. I'm a huge fan of his. I just love the way he plays. I love his style. Um, and like what you said, mentioned before about Latrell Mitchell's passing game. I don't know, like if he's been doing the old Sturlow in the backyard with a with a, a tire swing, chucking the ball in the middle. But something he was just on that night. He was throwing these like magical passes that were sticking exactly where they were, um, in all the right places. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you. If you, if you had walked in, if you'd watched the first 20 minutes of this game where it was 6-all and then you'd left the room and you'd come back at the end and you'd see that scoreline, you, you, you would not have believed it, right? Because it seemed like it, through most of the game, it seemed like it could have gone either way with a lot of uh, missed opportunities for both teams. Um, the Warriors, I guess the Warriors just missed a lot more. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, good signs for South. They sort of have beaten two pretty ordinary teams the last two weeks. There's tougher times ahead. But also the three games I lost before that were against really good teams, you know, the Storm mm. and Roosters and, and such. So, um, yeah, good signs for them moving forward. Um, 
I guess just to finish off with the, the Knights and the Broncos game, we've already talked um, to Piercy at length about how the Knights are going. We haven't really talked about the Broncos. And, um, you know, as good as the Knights were, the Broncos were very ordinary in this one. It's, I, feel, I feel terrible for... There, there must be just pain all the way through the Broncos at the moment from, from the top down because it just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem like a happy place. Um, they, they lacked energy. Like, they lacked... All the things that we were saying in that Manly game, um, we were saying, like we caught up Darius Boyd, how he was playing with his look in his eyes. That wasn't there. It's like they just um, they just had bottled all that energy for that one game. It didn't work and now they can't get it back. Like the way they were dominated by Newcastle's forwards was like, I don't want to say like embarrassing or anything. It's, it's, it's puzzling. I don't understand what, what happens to the team that we saw the week before. Well, yeah, they may have lost the game, but... There was a real like look. Of, there was a real grit, and there was a real desire. They didn't have any desire. It was uh, there's just something seriously wrong at the moment. And um, I, I just hope that all the all the Brisbane fans understand that you know it, it takes time to get out of these sort of things. I think as a um, a, a fan base that expects that is used to success. Um, probably don't aren't as well conditioned as us fans of other teams as to how long rebuilding phases might need to go through. And it just looks like this, like this, this, this is, this is, they're now in a rebuilding phase. It has to be. It's, um, you know, they, they welcome back Alex Glenn and Tavita Pango Jr. For this one, we've sort of been making excuses for how um, under strength their pack is just with players being out, but they're only really missing now David Fafita. And he's, you know, if you're relying on a, was he 20 year old forward to to be the difference between playing well and playing terribly you're in strife but um pango like it's been a long break for him since i think it was round one he was suspended he hasn't played in ages but um you know very very dusty in this one some um some handing errors and quite a few missed tackles he was probably more liability than help so far just let's sort of hope he's better for the run it just seems to me like there's they lack they lack a really strong leader or like I don't know who I, who's in the leadership group at the Broncos at the moment but I don't think there's anybody there that's just picking up the team by a scruff of a neck and saying this is what we need to do and that doesn't necessarily have to result in wins but at least it gets everybody on the same page and it can unite everyone behind someone um, to say you know everybody let's go this way forward that might be happening but from a uh, you know bloke on the couch it doesn't look like that's happening so. Um, I, I, you know, no one wants to see anybody um, go down in flames. Uh, so I hope Brisbane work out what's going on. It, just, it is just really puzzling. I, I can't understand it because they've definitely got the talent. People are ripping on Anthony Milford. Yeah, he's not playing very well, but we know how good he can play. Like, he's, it's not like they've just switched a talent switch off and he, he can't play well anymore. There's obviously there's something going on, whether it's uh, a change in training techniques or, um, you know, game plans not working for him, whatever it is. There's, there will be an answer to it. Um, I just hope that they can find it. Well, it won't necessarily get easier for them next week because uh, Tom Flegler and Pat Carrigan both, uh, I don't know if they've taken early pleas or potentially challenging, but as it stands, both will be suspended. Um, Carrigan particularly disappointing because he doesn't really sound like this sort of player, but I, um, we didn't ask PC about this, but the, the shot on Mitchell Pierce um, in the back from behind um, got, mm. got himself a grade two and it's going to be a week with an early plea. I guess that frustration late in the game is just a sign of where Brisbane are at. Yeah, and uh, that, that's just it. I think it's, it's again, from my perspective, it goes back to leadership. So um, because there's no one there, that seems to be rallying them and, and keeping their heads level. I'm like, all right, guys, this, you know, if you're 10 minutes to go and you're down by 25 points, you know, you've lost the game, but 
you still keep your head, like you don't you don't go and do silly things. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that's probably why they tried to they they brought in Isaac Luke as you know an old head. Isaac Luke's kind of used to be a hot head anyway, so maybe he's not the, not the best to coming in to bring level headedness to the team. But I think that's what the, the intention was anyway to bring a a veteran in who's who's seen it all before and knows how to um, just knows how to control a team. I think they just need um, they just need a serious a serious leader. Yeah, sort of. You mentioned Milford. There's been quite a few calls from fans to give young Tom Dearden a run. Um, Seabold was asked about this at the press conference, and I mean, you've kind of got to agree with the point he made, which is that Tom Dearden is a teenager who has played one game since last May due to injury um, and can't play games at the moment because there's no reserve grade on. So all he's got is the opposed sessions of training. To ask a teenage half to come into a team that's playing this bad in this sort of environment and ask him to be the spark that turns them around when he's got no chance to play any sort of warm-up games is um, you're almost throwing the, the kid to the walls. I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, you're still going to try and pick your best team and try to win games, but um, I don't think it's necessarily that Tom Dearden's going to come in and be the answer straight away either. Well, I think that's a credit to Anthony Seabold as well to show that he's not... Because like, coaches uh, historically have... There are examples of coaches getting desperate and putting um, immediate results in front of player welfare. Um, and just, just to show that even in these, you know, p- potentially panicked times around what's happening in Brisbane, he's got the foresight and level-headedness to say, no, that's, that's actually a really bad idea for all these reasons, mm. I think um, just shows that he's uh, perhaps uh, a, better, a better coach than some, um, some disgruntled fans may be uh, ex- uh, thinking. It's, I mean, probably worth noting that the four losses they've had, and yes, they've been some couples of pretty bad scores in there, but Eels, Roosters, Manly and Newcastle, um, four teams that are all up the uh, the pointy end of the ladder, or Manly in seventh is the lowest of them. The other, otherwise, we've got, what, one, two and four uh, that they've lost to. So they've got the Titans and the Warriors and the Bulldogs in the next three weeks, which is um, three of the bottom four. If they can't win... Probably all three of those games. If they lose to the Titans this week, the um, the Knives will be well and truly out. They uh, they need to win this one. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you never know actually because this is the, the, this is a big brother little brother uh, derby. Um, the Titans they might get right up for it, and the the Broncos might not yet have it together. So it would be really interesting to see what happens if that eventuated. But I'm like. I can't really just based on on squad alone. I, I can't see the Broncos losing to those three teams. The Warriors, yes, probably, but not now. Um, although you never know. Once a once a coach is sacked, anything can happen. Um, but yes, you would expect that they win all those three. If they don't, uh, it, it will be interesting times at Red Hill. It sure will. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for. A bit of a longish one this week. Our thanks, um, as always, um, to our guest this week was uh, Mitchell Pierce sharing some great insights on the Newcastle Knights. Thanks to yourself as well. Uh, Kenny, always fun to chat footy on a Sunday night, and we'll be back this time next week to go through round seven. Thank you as always. See you later.